Welcome to BIV Today, the daily podcast from the newsroom of Business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk Point, publisher and editor-in-chief. We're amid a mix of restrictions and permissions right now in the pandemic in British Columbia, and we can get a little smug about our relative success in mitigating the worst effects of COVID-19. But beneath the surface statistics, it's clear that much of Canada, including BC, has a strategy that's bound to encounter another wave in about three months that, again, will set back the economy with increased caseloads, hospitalization, fatalities, and likely restrictions. Now, what if we took the harder medicine sooner? What if we shut down for three months to suffocate the virus? A new report from about two dozen medical, indigenous, and business leaders, academics, and bureaucrats, a nonpartisan group calling itself the COVID Strategic Choices Group, argues that our physical and economic well-being would be better served doing that, closing us down, than fighting the way that we have fought Thousands of lives would be saved, tens of thousands of jobs created, and the report's economic modeling indicates the recovery would be stronger and sooner, before and not after we're vaccinated. One of the report's participants, contributors, was Jack Jedwap. He's the president of the Association for Canadian Studies and the Canadian Institute for Identities and Migration. He joins me now from Montreal. Thank you, Kirk, and uh, nice to see you. Yeah, good to see you. Uh, Why does the group conclude that we're fooling ourselves to think that we're winning the fight against the virus? Well, we're looking globally at uh, other countries that have uh, taken more difficult or more strict measures. Uh, For example, Australia and New Zealand is uh, one of the uh, areas that is a focus for uh, what we've ended ended up concluding. And uh, they went with stricter measures at the front. And the extent to which the case numbers have evolved there has been relatively moderate compared to what's happened here, where the measures we've taken have been uh, somewhat hesitant, uh, a bit spotty, uh, really trying to delay uh, taking stricter measures. And right now, as we can see as a very uh, sort of prime example of uh, this approach in my home province of Quebec, uh, we're on the verge uh, today, in fact, of uh, going to a total lockdown. Uh, and trying to reverse course. So that in in some ways supports some of the uh, conclusions that our group has arrived at in terms of trying to fully lock down, which we probably should have done previously uh, in order to avert what we're currently seeing with all the consequences for the health system and for the economy. The report argues for something approaching that lockdown that we had last year nationally for a while. Why would this one necessarily work better than the last one, Jack? Well, our assumption is that that one uh, was actually uh, working better. And had we sustained the lockdown over a more extended period of time, we wouldn't find ourselves in the situation that we currently are. And we're looking at various other countries and other models uh, and other strategic choices that have been made elsewhere uh, where they have maintained a more sustained lockdown over an extended period of time uh, rather than saying, "Okay, we've locked down for this period of time. That's it. Things are going a bit better. Uh, Let's pull back because our population, you know, doesn't, you know, feel good about what we're doing right now and, and wants to go back to the way, you know, things were. And then we found ourselves in a situation here in Canada to some extent when we pull back uh, with a serious degree of pandemic fatigue. And now we're, you know, pushing the button going backwards anyways to where we were, at least in Quebec and probably uh, similarly in Ontario, where they have done so, in fact, over the past uh, few weeks uh, yeah. and may also go to. Uh, what we're going to go to in Quebec, which is a curfew, which, you know, is exceptional here in, in, in this country. Uh, yeah. So we're saying there are other models that work better by sort of 
extending the pain a bit, but for a longer term gain. You point out in the report that there really are two strategies at play here in Canada. One is the strategy that you and I are in, you in Quebec, you know, I'm here in British Columbia. Uh, there's about six provinces that seem to be part of that strategy. But then there's a strategy that's in Atlantic Canada and the North that is appearing to have much more success. Is it is that model applicable to the rest of Canada all that easily? Not necessarily, because uh, some of it has to do with the density of the population in Atlantic Canada. Yeah. Uh, we're dealing in situations here where population density is a, a, a significant factor. So in some situations, you just can't apply the same circumstances, the same demographic and geographic conditions uh, to that particular area, to another area, right? And we can, you know, look at other parts of the world where that's the case, where you're seeing, you know, uneven numbers of cases because of uh, geographic considerations, you know, in larger cities like uh, Montreal and Toronto, uh, where, you know, the opportunity for uh, uh, distancing is, is not as strong. Uh, it requires, it seems, more stringent measures. Uh, we are seeing in areas that are more sparse outside of Montreal and outside, for example, of uh, Metro Vancouver and other large cities, uh, uneven numbers of cases. I know in Vancouver Island, the numbers of cases aren't uh, uh, especially uh, high uh, where the population density isn't the same. But, you know, we are in some ways in this together and our, you know, geographic connections and, and, and it's hard to maintain boundaries. The reality is Atlantic Canada really locked itself off or cut itself off from much of the rest of Canada in terms of, uh, in terms of travel and mobility, uh, yeah. uh, which was uh, one of the things that, you know, is difficult to do here. And if I just might add, take the example of, uh, for those who are aware of this particular geography, the national capital region, Ottawa and Gatineau, uh, the ability to separate out Ottawa's reality from Gatineau's reality is, is quite challenging. Mm -hmm. Exactly. A lot of travel back and forth. Um, it, you know, the, the group basically says that there would be some pretty immediate consequences of uh, putting ourselves into some kind of a heavier restriction. What, what kind of reduction would we start to see fairly quickly in, in things like caseloads? Well, in terms of our projections, we you know try to establish some targets for reductions in caseloads that we want to achieve with you know significant reductions. The objective is to get the caseloads as close to zero as possible. Uh, so we have to you know see how that would evolve. Uh, again, with these more stringent measures, I guess we'll see the extent to which that's the case in Quebec. But the, the challenge, even in this report, involves the extent to which the population is willing to comply with some of these measures. Yeah. Right? Because uh, we have been doing, in, in my organization, Association for Cane Studies, in partnership with Leger Marketing, uh, a national polling firm, uh, 40 weeks of, of tracking uh, Canadians' attitudes and behaviors uh, relative to COVID-19. And our most recent survey, uh, reveal that uh, over the holiday period, uh, somewhere around 50% or half of Canadians uh, did uh, gather with, acknowledge gathering at least once with family and friends outside their homes. And the 52% of those who said they never did this uh, over that particular period, uh, I must uh, suggest and admit that, that uh, I'm not certain they didn't give socially desirable answers to survey, uh, <laughs> survey yeah. inquiry because when I did a follow-up question with them around whether they uh, uh, knew of others who were in, engaged in such gatherings and interacted with family friends outside their homes, uh, over half said they did. So taken together, uh, that's 75% of the population that either did gather with family and friends outside their homes or know someone who did. Hence, what we're finding ourselves with is the situation today 
where our premier here in Quebec is saying we're going to take stricter measures. But compliance is still important. And, you know, and that's why you'll have to have strict measures. Strict measures in some way are, are a form of messaging to the population that compliance is essential. Uh, well, if we're going to bring this, get this thing under control. Well, I might as well ask that. I mean, uh, since since the report came out, we've had about, I don't know, 15 or so cases of episodes of politicians that have slipped out of the country for a holiday. Uh, yeah. how, how do you think that's affected credibility in trying to fashion either a provincial or a national initiative like the one that the report proposes? Uh, it's very difficult uh, because uh, we're going to have to be extremely tight about our messaging because as people see these examples, uh, they sort of feel if they did it, then, then why, why can't I do it? And that's the same for the family gatherings issues and friends gatherings and so forth. Uh, if others do it, then it will just create a sort of domino effect where people will feel that it's permissible or justified, uh, more so than permissible to uh, act accordingly. And so we'll have to tighten our message and our decision makers will have to take the lead and we'll have to hear more from the uh, people that our population trusts the most uh, in terms of our survey work over the past uh, 40 weeks, and that's public health authorities. That's the group of people that Canadians uh, most entrust to deal with the crisis and to uh, ensure the population that it understands uh, what the risks are, because there's a lot of at-risk behavior at the moment. And what we are proposing as a group will, will depend on people uh, controlling their behavior. Right? So uh, being practicing self-discipline uh, and uh, otherwise we're gonna have to trust others when we can't trust ourselves and trusting others to make decisions for us will mean that we'll need these stricter measures, which we desperately do need at this particular time to get the situation under control. So, so Jack, I mean, there were uh, business members as part of this group, uh, executives from the uh, Canadian Chamber of Commerce, from Scotiabank, from Bell Canada and all that. And it, it sounds to me though too, as if business has to get its head around the idea of interrupting a bit of a recovery to set itself back again. How do you think that happens? Uh, I think that uh, business leaders will have to look at their own situations, but look at the broader situation as well in terms of their enterprises and how they stand to benefit more from a longer term uh, exit from this uh, rather than hope for a short term exit that clearly doesn't appear to be in the cards right now. Uh, we need to hear more from business leaders showing examples uh, of uh, supporting these types of initiatives, not only uh, in terms of signing on with our strategies group, but also in terms of the actions they take. Uh, if I may give an example, I want to do this cautiously. Uh, some of the airline companies, I don't think have necessarily offered a strong example for us. Uh, right. We've seen a lot of international travel uh, and that international travel uh, was strongly encouraged by airline companies uh, that are hurting right now, as many of us and many industries are, uh, but that unfortunately need to show a bit more of an example rather than being out there offering COVID-19 insurance guarantees with reputable insurers uh, that made people uh, feel that they could take uh, vacation safely and securely, which is what some of the airlines uh, described or, as- uh, or, en or enlisting uh, Instagram influencers to uh, coax us to try to travel. Right. I don't think those are good examples of, of uh, responsibility in this particular period. I understand fully that, you know, airlines and other businesses are hurting right now, but clearly their best interest is to uh, continue this particular sacrifice in the shorter term uh, to uh, benefit from the long term when we can exit this particular situation and yeah. when consumers will get back on board 
And, you know, once we get out of this, we'll probably be quite eager to travel and, 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 and you'll see business uh, ideally restored to where it was or better. So, so the report indicates that obviously there would need to be a, almost a new array of support programs during this period when we went back you know, into some kind of lockdown and all of this for a period of about three months or so. Knowing what we now know about the first set of initiatives, what, what do you think might be done differently if, if we had another chance at this? Well, we clearly needed those support programs and we need to be careful that there's no abuse in those support programs because that was one of the things that creates, again, this sort of domino effect where, you know, if there is one area where there's abuse, then there's going to be other types of abuses. Uh, so we have to be tighter about the rules associated with uh, access to the programs. That's one of the lessons I think that needs to be learned. Uh, but we also need to have a a good fair indication of what the situation is and how it's evolving. Some businesses have actually benefited from uh, what's uh, occurred. Uh, a lot of online, for example, businesses and shipping industries uh, uh, have benefited from this. And there needs to be uh, interaction and, and dialogue between business leaders across sectors uh, and more engagement and involvement from business leaders in terms of messaging uh, as regards, you know, the, uh, uh, populations compliance with some of the measures. So uh, those are some of the lessons I think. Uh, you know, we need to see more community and business engagement. Uh, when I say community engagement as well, uh, there are a lot of uh, community leaders that could also uh, speak to their respective constituencies and, and and try to get us all together and on board. You know, presumably we're all in this together, but it, it doesn't always feel that way. Yeah, a, a report like this, of course, is very intriguing because it it stirs up or shakes up a little bit of our conventional thinking at this point. But what did you have to personally rethink as you participated in this process? Well, I was worried about the uh, compliance issues uh, myself because I also need to be in a position when I'm signing on with these other individuals to show that I am respecting the rules. And, you know, I too have a family and friends. I miss many of my friends and many of my colleagues, even though I see them regularly on Zoom or I'm catching up with them after many years on Zoom. Uh, you know, it's a very, very hard thing to restrain yourself from wanting to be with family members and friends. Uh, and interestingly enough, even here in my home province and elsewhere where we're saying that gatherings are not permissible at this particular time, there are exceptions to the rule for people who are uh, single parents or uh, uh, in other similar situations where they're on their own, uh, where they can uh, or were able to, we'll find out later today if those rules change, uh, be able to interact with others inside their homes. Uh, so the government understands uh, that people are in particular situations where it's very, very challenging for them and they you know, need to have that interaction. And, 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 but that applies beyond people who are single. So for me, you know, not being able to see uh, some of my kids, I have two of them here, but I have two of them or not, uh, is quite challenging. And I did get the opportunity, obviously, to see them quite frequently during the period where, you know, the restrictions were lifted. Uh, but now we're going back to this situation. And, you know, that's personally quite difficult for me, but it's important to set an example. Yeah, it, it, obviously, uh, when you have a group like this, not everyone's going to agree on everything. And I think the report indicates that. We, 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 mm -hmm. Where were the biggest debates? And because they probably are the same debates that we would have uh, elsewhere in the country around, around what to do about all this. Yeah, I think on the economic issues, uh, there was a pretty reasonable consensus uh, across the group. It was uh, on some of the social issues, the ones I've just made reference to, the issue of interacting with other people, mm -hmm. uh, even the issue of uh, internal domestic travel 
was an area where we uh, need to be uh, cautious. And then there was another issue. I wanted a lot more attention directed to the issue of a vaccination and, uh, and really uh, needing to be out there and encouraging people that the vaccinations are must. Actually, I would have been for vaccines being mandatory, but that got taken off the table really, really quickly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we'll have to see going forward. I have a, a real deep concern, which is one of the issues I raised as well, uh, with respect to border reopening. Uh, mm-hmm. I, like the vast majority of Canadians we're surveying, are, are not for uh, reopening the border, but if we don't have a, a shared strategy, uh, somewhere, a convergence strategy with our American neighbors, uh, yeah. then uh, we can't have a situation where 70% of our population gets vaccinated and 45% of our neighbor's population gets vaccinated. That, well, that's uh, not going to work. And that'll have serious economic ramifications. Well, I'm even wondering whether uh, Canada could do its own lockdown uh, imminently if the United States isn't. Right. I think that's an issue that I raised and I'm told that there'll be some conversation with some of the business leadership in the U.S. about that. Because, for example, if you look at, uh, say, pick Niagara Falls, uh, Ontario, Niagara Falls, New York, uh, we can have a situation where in Niagara Falls, Ontario, we get the critical mass of persons vaccinated as necessary. But in Niagara Falls, New York, they don't. Uh, That's not going to enable us to open the border and that's going to down the road create uh, serious, uh, continued serious economic ramifications. We need those borders reopened at, at some point, uh, and ideally sooner rather than later. So it's very hard for us to do this all in isolation and, and, and practice, uh, the restraint we need to practice without our neighbors in some way doing the same. Although I'm hopeful with the Biden administration that we'll see some progress in that regard. Yeah. Uh, last point, and, and it has to do with just the time of the year in which all of this might take effect. And the concerns that I think a lot of people have expressed over the time that this is going to be a very difficult winter for mm-hmm. our mental health, not just for our physical and uh, economic health. Um, what has to happen concurrently with all of this in order to deal with what would become a pretty stressful time for people inside of Right, and I think stress levels are gonna increase, especially here in my home province, which you know may be a, a model for other provinces, not a model necessarily in the best way. Uh, in terms of the number of cases, but in terms of the measures that are being taken. We need to bring down those numbers in order to diminish anxiety because in all the survey work we've been doing, and we've been doing f- weekly tracking for, as I said, 40 weeks on levels of anxiety and fear of getting COVID-19, uh, which is actually paradoxically a bit lower in Quebec than it is in the rest of Canada, despite high case numbers. So mm. there's a bit of a paradox there, but we do know that uh, lower levels of anxiety uh, are uh, con- congruent with better rates of, of and self-assessments of mental health. So the key to improving the mental health uh, challenges that we are currently encountering and, and, and will certainly continue to encounter uh, is for us to reduce those cases and do so as quickly as possible, or at least give the people uh, of Canada the feeling that we're making progress. Because in this past weekend survey that we did, uh, people didn't, don't feel that we're making progress and they don't feel we're going to be able to cut down the numbers of cases over the next few weeks. So we need to be able to show uh, the ability to do that, which will help us unlock a whole series of other issues. Yeah. Uh, where do people go uh, online to find the report, Jack? It's a, I think it's covidstrategiesgroup.ca, but it's a simple search. So. Yeah, great. Look, great having you on. Uh, we'll, uh, we'll get you back on to see how, uh, how things shake out here as we get into 2021. But I thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Kirk. And it's nice seeing you and a happy new year.
You too. Jack Jedwab is the president of the Association for Canadian Studies and the Canadian Institute for Identities and Migration. He participated in the nonpartisan group called the COVID Strategic Choices Group, which has produced a report online, as he mentioned. Mm -hmm. Thanks for watching BIV Today. I'm Kirk Point, publisher and editor-in-chief. We'll see you again.